From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Yeah, retail sales on Friday, I think, is the big report of the week. But we're also going to be watching what's going on in Washington. We need some good news on the stimulus front, I think, to continue to move this market higher. There's still a potential for disappointment. uh, But at this point, um, we in LPL Research still expect a trillion-dollar-plus stimulus package sometime in August. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. As always on the line up in Boston is Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, did you watch Mike Tyson swimming with sharks on Sunday evening on Discovery Channel by chance? Uh, no, I, I missed it. Watched a little bit of, of the golf tournament, but did, did not see Mike Tyson. How was it? <laughs> it was great. It was hilarious. I mean, he was, you know, he talks about he's the baddest man in the world. He's like, but I'm scared of sharks. And they slowly get him in the water and then they get him in a cage with all these sharks. You go down to like the Bahamas, all these sharks are swimming around him. And then, um, and then eventually he gets down there and there's just sharks everywhere. And the whole stick was he was going to like um, catch one of them and put his hand on his nose and like somehow you put a shark to sleep. So old Mike Tyson, he usually knocks people out. He actually put a shark to sleep and they put like a, I don't know, like a GoPro, I guess we'll call him a dorsal fan and it left, but it was, it was, it was funny. I don't know. You know, it's uh, it is what it is, but old, old Mike Tyson there. So it was uh, pretty good. And also Jeff, we had an earthquake. So we're down here South of uh, Charlotte and um, so I'm in Fort Mill, South Carolina, but we had an earthquake just a couple hours away in Sparta, North Carolina, and you don't have that every day. Now, we didn't feel it in my house. We had some neighbors, so that absolutely two hours away felt the felt the vibration and things fell off the um, people's door or people's um, walls, and it was uh, uh, pretty scary, you know? I mean, again, it's weird that we didn't feel it, but nonetheless, it was something. You guys ever have, um, I guess you have bad weather. You ever have earthquakes up in Boston? No, not that I can recall. Uh, yeah. Certainly had my uh, fair number of tornado warnings growing up in Kansas, but oh, uh, Northeast is uh, pretty uh, earthquake free. I mean, tell me, I mean, we didn't, even, we didn't know go this way. Tell me about the, the, the scariest episode with the tornado in Kansas, because I imagine growing up there, you had some really scary episodes, right? Sure. Yeah. The, the worst one was um, before my family moved there in the late 60s, um, but uh Thankfully, the time I, I lived there, uh, we didn't have anything really bad, just a lot of trips to the basement and uh, a lot of fire drills or, you know, tornado drills and other drills um, yeah. at school. Mm, boy, well, okay. Anyway, that, that's something. Well, let's, uh, let's move forward and talk about what we're going to discuss this week in the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. We're going to take a look at this week's weekly market commentary. Jeff, you put it together. It takes a look at the, dis- the continued disconnect between stocks and the economy and why it's still happening and might even continue to happen into the future. Also going to take a look at how stocks have been quite strong, actually gaining seven of the past 12 recessions. I think it's surprising most people. And then just kind of an economic round up. Lots of good economic data took place last week, um, better than expected. So we'll kind of talk about that. But Jeff, let's start, I guess, with this week's weekly market commentary. Again, you put it together. So I'm going to turn, turn things over to you here in a second. But we, one of the top questions that we get here at LPL Research continues to be, how can the economy, although it's showing signs of life, be still so weak with the, with the S&P literally as we're recording this, like a percent from all time highs? Jeff, kind of what did you talk about this week in the weekly market commentary? Yeah, we, we did two things, Ryan. First, we tried to explain the strength in the stock market, right, which is not easy, uh, but certainly uh, some of the reasons, you know, people think this pandemic is going to be over within the next six to 12 months. A lot of optimism around vaccines. 
We have a lot of stimulus from the Fed. The Fed has lifted the money supply about 25% year over year. That's the M2 measure. Sounds a little wonky, but um, it really matters. That, that statistic does tend to correlate with uh, moves in stock prices. And we have low interest rates, which increase the value of, of future profits. Um, last point, you have um, the winners doing really well, right? We, we saw the mega cap tech earnings uh, blowouts a couple of weeks ago. Uh, about half the S&P 500 is really thriving in this environment. Um, so, um, you know, those are some of the, uh, the um, factors we would cite in, in the stock market strength. Uh, and then the other thing we do in this piece is try to explain how the S&P 500 is different from the U.S. economy, specifically GDP. Uh, and the, the most obvious reason is, you know, GDP is about 70% consumer spending, but the S&P is less than 20% when you take the weightings of the consumer discretionary sector and the consumer staple sectors. So uh, much more consumer oriented, and that's really where uh, you know you, this pandemic has hit hard, right? That's the services economy as opposed to the manufacturing economy. We also point out the S and P is more global uh, than the GDP calculation, which is really domestic. So those are some of the reasons um, you go through a list in the report, and and you really get a, a clear picture of how the economy and the stock market are very different animals. Yeah, we've talked about it. Oh, gee, feels like for, well, since the lows about five months ago, where you look back at history, the stock market tends to lead the economy. And even back in February, when the economy was doing still still okay, uh, the recession started in March, you know, the stock market started freaking out. The bond market, remember the bottom fell out in yields, um, uh, suggesting the bond market was scared of the monster under the bed. And we pointed out again, stocks tend to bottom about five months before a recession is officially over. Manufacturing tends to bottom about four months before a, a recession is officially over. Those two things, stock market bottom in March, manufacturing bottom in April, you know, those two things are lining up to the potential that, again, we're potentially out of the recession right now or very likely very soon. I mean, Jeff, I, one thing that struck me as I was talking here, you didn't see this one coming, but the 10-year yield, if you talk about what kind of worries me a little bit here, 10-year yield is like where it was back in March, okay, when everything was really, really bad. The bond market isn't buying necessarily some of these positive economic data. We're going to get to some of the positive economic data here, but why do you think the 10-year yield is staying so stubbornly low if the economy was truly getting better? Wouldn't the 10-year yield be probably much higher, to be honest? Well, first, the pandemic was a deflationary shock, right? So we're probably not going to see an inflation problem for at least the next several years, frankly. It's going to take several years to fully repair the job market. We hope it's sooner than that, but you know, you've done a study on this, Ryan. It takes on average several years after recession to get all the jobs back. Mm -hmm. So if we see something similar to that, uh, labor does not have a lot of negotiating power to lift wages uh, right now. Uh, so you know, if you're not gonna have any inflation, then there's really not much of a reason for uh, rates to move higher. And then add to that the fact that the Federal Reserve has told us they're going to keep rates basically at zero for the next several years. And uh, you really have the formula for a stagnant tenure. Yeah, you know, the other thing, I guess, is the fact the Fed has said they're going to buy up a lot of bonds, right? They're going to buy up a lot of debt. They're starting to buy ETFs. When we use uh, data from Bloomberg and our friends at Strategus Research, they point out the fact that if you look at the top 10 
flows. Most ETFs have you know had the most buying. Not surprisingly, this is kind of how it normally is. You know, big, the big bond funds are going to have a lot of the buying, but it's even more so this year. And partially, it's because there's just so much um, so much buying going on by the U.S. government, maybe potentially keeping yields lower. But I'll tell you, that is the one. Well, I mean, yeah, we're stretched, and tech has had an amazing run, and it's seasonality. We talked about that that before. Um, being a worrisome sign, the next two months are historically weak. Put to call ratios are getting really low. I mean, options markets and options traders are getting really excited here with this incredible run with the S and P a chip shot, no pun intended. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed watching that golf tournament. Um, you know, a chip shot from new all time highs, and, and it, it, the contrarian in me starts w- w- not worrying. It's a strong word to use, but wondering when's that inevitable pull back going to take place so jeff that's this week's weekly market commentary again you guys go to um, lpl.com by the time you listen to this podcast and and check out this week's weekly commentary and then we kind of wanted to go forward a little bit kind of part two on this i wrote a blog last week entitled it our recession's actually good for stocks I get it. That was uh, some clickbait. I'll admit <laughs> you caught me, but it's fascinating. I'm looking over here. If you look at the last 12 recessions, um, incredibly, in my opinion, the stock markets gained seven of them. Um, and in the, in the, after World War II, there's a 16% gain during the recession. And what I'm going by is NB. NBER, National Bureau Economic Research, when they say it starts to when they say it finishes. Um, you gained after the, in the mid 40s, the late 49, uh, late late 40s, mid 40s, 53, 54 recession. The stock market gained almost 18 uh, percent, almost a 17 percent gain. May of 60 to February of 61. Because it's in the back of our heads. We all remember the last two recessions when stocks obviously did very poorly, specifically. The great financial crisis when stocks dropped about 37%. But so far during this recession, which again started in March, S&P's gained double digits. So Jeff, this could be the eighth time that stocks have actually gained during a recession. So Jeff, the question I pose to you, we're all, including me, quite surprised how strong stocks have done in the face of this recession. Maybe we shouldn't be as surprised as we think when we look back at history, right? Well, clearly the market thinks this is going to be a really short recession. You alluded to it. It might be over already. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at history, the short recessions tend to be where you see the gains in the stock market, right? Yep. This, this recession materialized so quickly that essentially the market was able to, to price in the end of the recession <laughs> about five weeks after the recession started. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, it just had, yeah. the, the typical uh, business cycle pattern was condensed. Uh, and so um, you got to the trough really fast. It was severe, but it was really swift. Uh, and that allowed the market to start to price in the recovery quicker. We got evidence of the recovery starting in April uh, and uh, really uh, gained some steam in, uh, in May and June, certainly. And now we think the recession is over. Yeah, the, the absolutely good points there. You know, something else that might be over, Jeff, let's talk for a second about college football. By the time People hear this, there's a chance the college football season, at least in fall, uh, will be postponed to uh, September. I'm sorry, September. The spring, I guess, is what it sounds like. I mean, what? Um, who's your college football team? You went to Duke and Northwestern. Who, who do you root for college football? Oh, Northwestern all the way. They've had a, a tough few years, but uh, yeah, over the last couple of decades, they've had uh, some bowl wins. Yeah, no, oh, no doubt. They've been, they've been good. Obviously, I'm an Ohio boy, so Ohio State, if you look at the polls, I mean, Clemson's one, Ohio State's two, so it's, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think we all want college football, but there's some reasons that they might have to. Well, obviously, for some reasons, we know why. But, you know, the, 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 it just sounds like that's the way we're going. The MAC obviously already canceled uh, their program and, and their, their football and obviously other schools have. So just the continued fallout of, of COVID. And I mean, what does that mean? You know, I mean, here's the big question, right? If you take away football from some of these, any of these schools that make money, the, 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 the way football drives a lot of the money and that goes, that trickles down and it hurts, you know, other institutions, other teams. So the schools in general, some of these small towns that have people come in and spend a lot of money, that gets into the economy that we're talking about. I mean, we talked before, I maybe three weeks ago, how Google was saying, just stay home till next summer. You know, Google's telling their employees, stay home till next summer. They're still working, they're still making income, but you're not driving, you're probably not going out to lunch as much, you're not doing some of those other things when you're at home. Um, so these are impacting the economy. And when the NCAA potentially shuts down football, that's the big driver, and that it really has a trickle down. So, Jeff, let's go to the final thing. We've got uh, about eight minutes or so, and this is going to have a, hopefully a good discussion on the economic data and what we're seeing on the economy. Last week, we had the ISM services, manufacturing, and jobs. All three came in a lot better than expected. Kind of surprising a lot of people because we have been talking about some of the real-time economic data, things like open table, electricity use, uh, transit, people using Google Maps and Apple Maps, things like that. Worse, uh, not necessarily decline but they were stagnating sideways. I mean, Jeff, let's maybe, I don't know, we'll start with the ISM number, services and manufacturing, and then we'll get to jobs after that. Kind of what were your takeaways on those two uh, better than expected numbers? And well above 50. Uh, yeah. so both showing expansion. The services economy really matters more. That was where you got the really big number, over 58. Uh, that's the majority of the U.S. economy. That's the scene of the accident, we've been saying, right, where uh, the pandemic hits hardest. So um, no doubt uh, the economic recovery continued in in July, right? We really thought it was leveling off in, in, in June and into July, but uh, the jobs numbers, probably the most important economic data point you could find right now, uh, continuing to show uh, steady improvement. And then the um, services ISM and manufacturing ISM both improved month over month, solidly over 50. Now you, you also have to consider though, the ISM numbers don't really tell you anything about the level of output. It's more about the direction, right? The momentum uh, around either manufacturing or services. Uh, so we still got a ways to go to fully recover the lost output. You know, we, we saw evidence of that with that GDP number, right? Down 33%, although right. that was annualized. Still, the economy was about 9% smaller than it was uh, during the prior year. So we've got uh, a ways to go, uh, no doubt, but this is great progress and suggests that you know, the economy can keep going even if fewer people are eating out, fewer people are commuting, fewer people are flying and all of that. Yeah, so let's, maybe, let's talk about the jobs number then a little bit more. So one and a half million jobs created was what most economists expected, came in closer to 1.8 million. We're still millions and millions away from where we were back in February, but at the same time, you know, we've had multiple months in a row of better than expected jobs numbers. Now, Jeff, when we break it down and we, as you like to say, peel back the onion, you know, where did most of these job gains come from when we look at the 1.8 approximate million jobs created last month? Yeah, leisure and hospitality. I mean, you want to talk mm -hmm. about the scene of the accident. That is where yeah. uh, the hit was was hardest. Um, so um, good to see those jobs come back. A lot of people were rehired. Uh, those were some of the quickest job losses during the pandemic. Uh, about a third of the job gains were there. Now, it's going to be tough to get all of those jobs back in that area. 
because of social distancing, obviously, and, and consumer behavior. But um, good to see that. But we did see some breadth. Uh, six or seven different industries really saw, saw solid job gains uh, for the month. Um, we're now at um, about 9 million jobs gained since the trough after the job losses in, in March and April. Uh, but we lost 22. So you're right. talking about still a good ways uh, to get back. I mean, hopefully the unemployment rate, that was good news, right? The unemployment rate dropped about a point. Uh, hopefully we'll get another few points off of that uh, between now and year end and, and we can get a, a vaccine and, and 2021 can be the year where uh, we get back to where we were last year. Yeah, some of our big partners um, that we that we follow, you know, Goldman Sachs, for instance, said that they think there can be a vaccine by end of this year. Some other big places, and we're following the same data that they are, and we absolutely think that you know a vaccine by end of this year is one thing to get approved, I guess I should say, but to actually get it out into the public and get it get everyone to take it that, that wants to take it, um, you know, that's a whole other story. But we think there are some positive things there. Now, Jeff. Um, you mentioned what's impacted by this and it, it, hospitality and leisure. No question about it. Those areas have been decimated. Just a, a, an interesting stat, a devastating stat, really, I think. Live Nation, they're the company that if you ever go to a concert, you probably went to Live Nation and you probably bought your ticket. Their revenue in the second quarter was down 98%. Now, might ask yourself, where did the other 2% come from? There weren't too many live concerts last I looked in the second quarter. Uh, nonetheless, there's no laughing matter. I mean, that's just one example, though, of just you know, the devastation and how long it's going to take. I mean, next summer, you know, there's going to be some concerts going on. I, I might I might go, but you got to wear your mask, obviously, and still be safe and careful. But uh, some of these industries, cruise lines also, I mean, they're just going to change forever is the truth. And look at Disney's earnings last week. Um, you know, Disney came out and said, yeah, people are going to parks. Obviously, parks are shut down and very minimal. But now, you know, they're going to streaming and they're do, doing different things. So there's different ways that companies have to adapt. If there's anything we've learned during this crisis, I think it's, boy, oh, boy, you better be able to adapt or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. I mean, Jeff, we've got two or three more minutes. I mean, a couple other things I think I wanted to touch on. Earnings season, you know, we're talking about the economy. Earnings season is like over 90% done. How have earnings season done so far and who are kind of some of the winners in your view? Yeah, tremendous results relative to expectations. I mean, we're still going to be down more than 30% year over year uh, when all the results are in, but that's sure a lot better than down 45, which is where analyst estimates were when earnings season started. Uh, the average S&P 500 company has surprised by over 22%. So big upside wow. surprise. Now, they didn't get a lot of guidance, right? So analysts were guessing. Uh, but still uh, very positive development. And we've seen estimates rise for the back half of this year and into 2021, a very encouraging development uh, that gives market confidence that the earnings estimates are achievable and, and in fact, might, might even be too low. Wow. No, that's, that's amazing. I mean, uh, I mean, I follow earnings. Mainly, I've learned a lot from you over the years. And the one thing that we see is when earnings season starts, those future estimates tend to go a little bit lower. That's just kind of how it works. But they've obviously increased since July 1st, which is really, really rare. And maybe a subtle sign, um, again, the companies that are willing to give guidance, uh, that corporate America feels a little bit better about things going forward. Just some amazing stats, Jeff, as I was preparing for the call, at least my opinion, amazing. I'm just going to read them here. Apple, $2 trillion market cap, almost, not quite there. Who knows? Maybe by the time the day 
days over, they'll be there. Um, but the entire Russell 2000 is not even that big. So Apple's bigger than the entire Russell 2000. But Apple's net income over the past 12 months is actually greater than the entire Russell 2000. If you've pointed out many times, a lot of those companies in Russell 2000 don't make money, though. Nonetheless, that's just incredible to me. If you look at the market cap of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Microsoft, and Google, the big seven, um, that's seven, right? Six, can't do math. This, the big six, it's actually $7 trillion. That's where that seven was coming from, which is greater than these industries all combined. Financials, industrials, materials, and energy. I mean, that's unbelievable. Last thing, Apple's market weight of the S&P 500 is 6.5%. That's the most we've ever seen for any company in terms of how big it is relative to the S&P 500 since IBM in 1984, it's 6.4%. Jeff, I just said a lot. We talked about this last week, but I mean, any of those, I'm sure the numbers are stunning and amazing. Any takeaways in the last couple of minutes to kind of what that means for market investors here? Sure. Well, it, it's a reason for some people to be concerned, uh, I guess, that maybe this market is being led by a narrow group of companies. And if you know, one of those companies or several of them stumble, uh, that's certainly going to drag the index down. But right now, fundamentals for those companies look really good. And you know, a lot of people are drawing a comparison between now and, and the tech bubble 2000, right? The fundamentals of these companies, the profits of these companies, the growth of these companies, so much better uh, than what we saw from the leadership in uh, 2000. It's, it's really no comparison at all. So uh, until that fundamental momentum deteriorates, uh, we would expect those those companies to continue to do well and those sectors uh, to continue to do well, primarily tech and then the internet area within communication services and consumer discretionary. Yeah, I want to build on something you just said, because I think it's a great point. The idea that there's just a couple big companies pulling everyone higher. And there's no question. Some of the big companies, we just we know who they are, and they are doing their job. At the same time, if you look under the surface, though, all of a sudden, you've got small caps starting to outperform. Small caps are up 6% last week. Transports recently broke out. And if you look at transports relative to the S&P 500, uh, that's breaking out. Industrials are breaking out. Materials are doing well. Uh, emerging markets, copper. You know, It's tough for me to say, there's going to be uh, this extended global recession, double dip recession, whatever you want to call it, economic trouble into the future. When you see some of those things, also, um, you've got South Korea make a multi-year highs. You've got Taiwan for 30 years went nowhere. Taiwan is breaking out to all-time highs. The yuan, the Chinese yuan, is strengthening. First U.S. dollar. Historically, that's been more of a risk on. There's a lot. We didn't even talk about U.S. China back and forth, and it's still happening. But the currency markets, in my opinion, are suggesting that the back and forth headlines we're seeing in U.S. and China maybe aren't as concerning as um, as you might think because the currency markets aren't uh, freaking out necessarily. Um, so those are just some of the big headline things. I mean, Jeff, we've got maybe two minutes or so. What's on your radar this week that investors should be paying attention to? Yeah, retail sales on Friday, I think, is the big report of the week. But we're also going to be watching what's going on in Washington. We need uh, some good news on the stimulus front, I think, to continue to move this market higher. There's still a potential for disappointment. Uh, but at this point, um, we in LPR Research still expect a trillion-dollar-plus stimulus package uh, sometime in August. And the GDP on an annualized basis in the second quarter was $19 trillion. We've added about $3 trillion worth of debt. So you add another trillion, a trillion and a half, you're talking um, potentially 25% of the um, deficit. Uh, of the, what am I trying to say, Jeff? 25% of um, the budget deficit is GDP. Is that what I'm trying to say? What am I trying to say? Um, not sure. 
Well, yeah. we're, we're a lot of debt out there. A lot of the, debt. Twenty five. The, the debt. The debt is debt. on track to exceed GDP. Uh, yeah. that'll probably happen. Yeah, so it's it's the most we've seen since World War II if you compare it to GDP. I know that much. So a lot of uh, potential problems um, down the road potentially with all this debt, but we're not there yet. And again, what Mr. Market is telling us is there's still some strength under the surface. So maybe it's not as worrisome as it sounds. But this week we're going to wrap things up here. This week's um, LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for joining. As always, we greatly appreciate the continued listenership, and we'll see everyone next week. Take care. Thank you was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliate. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.